0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. This is the Weekend Edition, where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We have a great guest this weekend, all the way from Dallas, Texas. Welcome to the show, Omar Khan.
1: Thank you very much, Victor. How are you today, sir?
0: I'm awesome. So, Omar, you started your journey into real estate from the corporate side. Why don't you give a little bit of your backstory for the folks who may not know you as well as I do?
1: Okay. Well, uh, how it started is how a lot of folks, uh, you know, you go to a good school. In my case, I went to University of Toronto. It's a top 10 global school. You kind of, you know, for the lack of a better term, bust your ass. You study, study, study. Uh, I did a lot of partying in between as well. So it wasn't all all studying. And then, you know, you get good grades and then you know what happens. You didn't plan for it, but 2008 happens and you're in finance. And <laughs> there's practically no jobs. So in my particular case, I was lucky. There's a couple of hustling and that's, For the only time in my life, parting paid off. That one of my frat brothers, his friend's dad was the MD in one of the banks. And that's how I kind of weaseled myself by networking (laughs) into a job at the height of the financial crisis. Then I was basically working at the Royal Bank of Canada, McKinsey, and then uh, an oil and gas firm and a bulge bracket bank. Basically, that's a fancy way of saying that I was chained to a desk for 80 to 100 hours a week, most of my 20s and 30s basically structuring deals running a lot of complex transactions and managing portfolios and then one day uh i was, uh, I, was sell side, I was in sell side equity research when uh, we had the earnings season so it's basically a fancy way again fancy way are saying you're going to be up for like 30 40 hours in a row multiple weeks and what had happened is that once i was up for about 36 hours and not just me most of the office because we had to report on earnings from different companies that we were covering we got done and it was either the afternoon or something, uh, you know, it's a day and a half and we go down to the bar or restaurant or whatever. And my boss who was a director and my MD was there from Toronto and they said, Hey, we re- good job. We really like what you're doing. And you know, you keep doing this. And in a few years, if you do this, uh, you know, we're going to make a place for you. You can join us. And I distinctly remember at that time. And by the way, you've got to realize I had worked really hard for this job, right? This is a really glamorous job. Uh, in the investment bank. You're working really hard. And as soon as I said that, I, I don't know what happened, but I looked to them. I looked at myself. I obviously didn't say it to their face. They're really nice people. And I was like, man, the last thing I want to do is be like you, man. You're 40, 45. You make a lot of money, but you are so miserable. What's the point of all of this education, all of this work, all of this money, even, if you're just going to be miserable all the time, right? So that's kind of how the process started of me, actually, quitting the corporate job, moving into a more entrepreneurial uh, sort of the business. And I think going what was going in my favor was my family's very entrepreneurial. So I think this was always innately in me of sorts, right? And that's how I kind of made the transition.
0: Well, the skill set you developed in the world of banking and investment banking certainly would stand you very well in the world of full-time real estate investing at a very high level because you're you know looking at things from a due diligence standpoint. You're looking at things from the perspective of a professional investor, making sure that everything is done in in an up and up manner?
1: Uh, Yeah, yes and no, in the sense that uh, the transition uh, on the technical side of things, right? We're not talking about the raising the equity and investor relation side of things, but on the technical side of things, was not that hard, to be very honest with you. In fact, if you're working in any investment bank, any private equity shop, the type of real estate, at least we're doing multifamily and industrial, this is as close to being the simplest transaction you can do. Literally. From the lending and the asset management side. So technically it wasn't as much of an issue, but the things that I had to learn uh, were the good things that I already had been trained was the good training, the financial acumen, and being a professional pessimist. That's something that's trained to you. But the things you have to learn are basically how to hire and fire people, how to manage people correctly. But those are more soft skills.
0: I love it. So fast forward to today, you're investing in multifamily. You're in multiple different asset classes. What's what's your focus?
1: Well, uh, you know, I'm going to copy Sam Zell. I'm, I really like that guy, and say that I'm a, I really copied it for him. That I'm a professional opportunist, right? So if something makes money, that I do it. And I'm going to be honest with you. The reason why I'm in real estate is I know a lot of people say you know they've always had a dream of owning a house or a building or whatever. I'm going to be honest with you, Victor. The only reason why I'm in real estate is. Because me and my wife, my wife's a physician, we got sick and tired of paying a boatload of money in taxes. So real estate was the easiest, simplest, dumbest way for me to reduce my tax bill without necessarily using my brain too much. And coincidentally, it happens to be the easiest way that I've found that I can raise a boatload of money and get into bigger deals like 15, 20, 30 million dollars. So for me, real estate, I like it for the things that it's bought into my life. But frankly, if this was any other asset class, I would move there
0: in no time. I love it. So you've been in this segment for a little while now. If you had some words of wisdom for folks that are maybe looking to up level from smaller properties to bigger properties, what would it be?
1: I think what I would recommend a lot of folks is, uh, look, it depends on two sides of people. So if a lot of folks are coming from a similar background that I am coming from, what I would recommend to a lot of folks is to basically learn marketing and soft skills or rather be more developed. Because you have to realize uh, when you're working in uh, investment banking, private equity, you're working with very type A sort of people who are very self-driven. Right. So you're dealing with a certain type of person where people, if you say something, something really asinine, they will push back immediately. They'll jump on you. Whereas when you're running your own business, you have to know how to develop a team, how to have a carrot and stick approach, how to manage and develop teams over a period of time. And then basically take some decisions that might not yield the highest financial result in the short term, but will result in the most optimal decision in the long term. Right. These are things that are not just numbers based. So you have to learn a lot of the soft skills. But if you're coming from the other direction where your soft skills are really good, then I would suggest either partnering with somebody who has really good analytical skills and not somebody who says who has good analytical skills. They have to have a track record. And then basically going down that direction because if you're trying to learn the analysis over you know every weekend for the next six months, you're going to be stuck, man. Why be stuck for no reason? Just hire or get in partnership with the right person and that will greatly help you accelerate your business.
0: Well, that, I, I resonate with that very strongly. I've always believed that business is a team sport. In fact, I was having a conversation with someone who's a college pro football player, and he was asking me whether he needed to do a stint in property management in order to raise capital. And so I kind of threw it back at him, and I asked him, I said, well, let me ask you this. If you were to play college pro ball, are you telling me that you would have to go play the linebacker position to be a good quarterback? And as soon as I asked the question that way, he said, oh, I get it.
1: Oh, that's a good analogy, actually. I like that.
0: Because at the end of the day, it is a team sport. And you are not going to be the best linebacker if you're the quarterback. You're not going to be the best running back if you're a linebacker and so on. You don't necessarily have the skills to play those other positions, but you need those other positions. You can't go out as a lone player and say, give me money. I've got an NFL team. But then they look behind you and there's nobody there. Mm -hmm. They don't invest in the self-employed. They invest in teams.
1: And look, I think you raised an excellent point, by the way. The other thing also is what I feel is that, look, even if you can be the best linebacker and be the best quarterback, is that the best and highest usage of your time? Because in the time it takes you to, say, as a quarterback, to maybe, even if you can, become the best linebacker, well, maybe a guy who's already good at being a linebacker is going to crush you in that time. So why even bother? Why not actually – you know, spread the love around, man.
0: Exactly, exactly. You know, if I think back to my transition from the corporate career into the world of real estate investing, I had a lot of skills, a lot of things that I thought were transportable. And it, it's funny because I had raised a lot of money in tech. I'd probably raised, I don't know, close to $300 million. And when I went into the world of real estate investing, I forgot all of that. And I started <laughs> from scratch. Did you forget, it? Did well,
1: you forget I, it? Or did you just have to rejig some aspects of your personality and your set?
0: Well, I really had to rejig, but I really went back and started instead of starting at the top of the industry where I could have easily started, I actually started at the bottom. I started in single family homes and made all of the same mistakes. I wasted a tremendous amount of time uh, messing around with small projects that on paper in an Excel spreadsheet looked like they could yield good results. But in reality, in the cold, hard light of the real world, took way too much time, way too much effort. And had to relearn the whole process, including relearning the process of raising money, which by the way turned out to be exactly the same as it was before. Yeah. Skill
1: set is exactly the same. I mean, people It don't really is.
0: Care. It really is. So, what was the transition like for you?
1: Look, uh, that's actually a really good point because you're you're now stepping on some raw nerves now, Victor. <laughs> so, look, the transition for me was uh going from a world which is very numbers driven, right? Which is very, hey. You either hit your target or you don't. And if you don't, you don't give any excuses. You just literally find a way. And if you can't find a way, we got a line outside the door. We're going to hire somebody new, right? Literally going from something which is so binary, right? To going into a world where, for instance, look, if you're working with your property managers, so far to date, I have yet to hear a good property manager or GC story, literally. And I know a ton of sponsors, but a lot of times what you have to realize is, look, We might not get to the best decision, but we have to get to the least worst decision, which is it requires a different bit of a mindset because you're going from the best possible decision to being like, what is the worst thing that can cause me the least amount of damage? Right. And it took a little while for me to rejig my mind to understanding, well, well, why wouldn't you take this decision? This is in your best financial interest to realize that a lot of folks, first of all, they can't even do basic math, which is kind of a sad state where we are, education-wise, that people can't even do basic arithmetic. And the other thing is, different people have different motivation drivers, man. Like, a lot of people are going to leave a lot of money on the table just to avoid confrontation or to avoid doing certain work that they don't like. Which, you know, as a lot of times if you're working in the corporate world, you think, well, yeah, that's kind of dumb. Why would I leave $3 million on the table just because I wanted, I wanted to avoid doing, I don't know, two weeks of work, right? But a lot of people in real life take those decisions. So it's not like I have like, mastered this art as an example, because I haven't. I don't think I ever will. But it's, it's realizing that different people have different motivations. And not just when you're buying or selling something, but when you hire people to understand what are the drivers that these people face or have. And then using those drivers to motivate the people to do the work uh, the way they want to do it, but also the way that is the least painful. So it's it's not a perfect answer, but it's kind of trending in a direction where you're learning and recalibrating, learning and recalibrating as you go along.
0: That's absolutely true. And I mean, some of the process that you talked about is certainly a source of great deals. I mean, one of the things that we often see in the marketplace is that people will favor, they will leave a lot of money on the table because they favor having certainty ahead of necessarily maximizing their returns.
1: Yeah. Look, a good example, by the way, is, you know, a lot of times when we go into deals now that we have a track record with not just sellers in the market, but with brokers as well. This is one of the things we say. We say, look, man, somebody can say they can give you more money or we can tell you we're going to give you money and you're going to get it. So it's your call. And what's very surprising to me is a lot of times when you're doing these bigger deals, where let's assume a private owner is not pressed to sell. They don't have a divorce. They don't have to liquidate. They don't got to do anything like that. If I was them I'd I'd always go for the highest bidder but put a really high hard money amount in right say whatever 150 200000 and then if the person can't show up well I just made 200000 that in those two months right so I'm going to exactly. help the person close but if they don't close well they're the ones that committed 200000 to me not me so which is so surprising to me I think well look if you're not pushed to sell why wouldn't you just take the highest price and it's so baffling but you're right a lot of people don't do that which is so Antithetical to everything you've been taught in the business world. But real life, as you said, is so different than uh, theory and books and all that kind of stuff.
0: I love it. Well, if folks want to get in touch and they want to learn more, what's the best way?
1: Hey, Richard, I thought you never asked me that question. You know, you can go to our website, boardwalkwealth, B O A R D, walkwealth.com. Hopefully, you know your name and your email address. So we've made it super simple. You put your name, you put your email address. And there's a little box below where you tell us how you find out about it, found out about us, and then we will be in touch with you in no time.
0: Well, fantastic! Well, for the folks at home, definitely reach out to Omar at BoardwalkWealth.com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.